Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Loki stood at the bow of the ship. The horizon stretched endlessly before him, almost as though they could sail forever and never reach a destination. But Loki knew where this journey ended. He knew that he sailed to his death. It was almost peaceful, the sounds of the ocean lapping against their terrible ship. The crew grumbled and labored, but they were somber and focused. A breeze pushed against his coat and soothed the many scars on his face and the ones around his wrists. Loki's anger was once like a wildfire, rampant, furious, and all-consuming. But now it was focused and intentional. He understood why this was his destiny, but took comfort in knowing that the Aesir had brought this upon themselves. The gods would soon hear that he had broken free of his bondage. They would do what they were always meant to do and prepare for battle. He turned and faced his crew, their faces eager, their refined muscles tense, their eyes murderous. Their heads all turned to the sky. The great horn sounded like it was coming from everywhere at once. The ocean trembled, and the ship began to rock amongst the growing waves. The crew grunted and shifted their weight nervously. Loki could not help but smile. The great horn sounds. Ragnarok has come. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Today is our third and final episode on the Norse god Loki, a figure prevalent within Norse mythology, but one whose motivations and purpose have been the subject of debate for centuries. 
It's important to remember that the source material for Norse mythology is incredibly thin. The figure of Loki in particular is an extremely complicated character, and his motivations and overall position amongst the Norse gods is somewhat murky. In these episodes, we've taken a sympathetic stance toward Loki and tried to shape the story from his perspective, with a hope to understand his actions. Time plays a very important role in Norse mythology. The three entities known as the Norns have woven the tapestry of time in an intricate and inescapable way. The fates of all beings are sealed, even those of the gods. Some try to push against it, some simply ignore it. Their response, for the most, is how we would assume all individuals would respond if they were to discover a terrible fate. Except, of course, for their treatment of Loki. It's assumed that from the time Odin learns of the prophecy of Ragnarok, he knows that Loki and his children will fight against the gods. And yet, Odin the Allfather allows Loki to live in Asgard as a companion and blood brother. So the mystery, and one of the most troubling things about Loki's character, is the question of why Odin and the gods allow this. Why would they keep a god they know will become a traitor so close at hand? And why would the ancient Norse people craft such a character? Surely it would be easier to make the enemy of the gods a powerful character that lives and thrives in Jotunheim, the land of chaos. Perhaps it's that Loki is not so much a character created out of logic, but for the purpose of representing the idea of consequence. When the gods bind his children, they assure his resentment. When Frigg tries to save Baldur from his prophesied death, the hypocrisy of the Aesir angers Loki, and he makes sure that he dies. When they punish Loki for his actions, it only solidifies that he will become a traitor. The gods are responsible for everything that Loki becomes, and the god of mischief is there to assure they are held accountable. Loki is consequence. Loki is the retribution for our wrongs. Loki is a reminder of responsibility. He's a vessel to right the ship of fate. But even the trickster god does not look forward to his destinies. And that is why, after he confessed his crimes against Baldur at the banquet, he chooses to hide from the gods in the mountains. His days were peaceful. It felt nice to bask in the sun away from the bustle of Asgard. He lived in a modest, comfortable hut. He took on the form of the deer and the goats, hopping up the mountain with graceful strides, hooves sturdy and confident against the hilly terrain. He gazed out upon the beauty of Midgard. He never much understood humans, and rarely did he interact with them as Odin did. Their world was rough and primitive, but they lived in a happy ignorance, unaware of the dark days ahead, unaware the wheel of the apocalypse had begun turning. In his solitude, Loki began to realize the inefficiencies of his methods. The first was his fishing. He thought the shape of the river made it possible to catch not one, but many fish at once. He used pieces of twine and with deft fingers began to weave them together, he soon realized that if you looped the string so that it formed a diamond, 
If you pulled at its corners, the whole thing would stretch taut, but when loosened, it was malleable and could be used as a bag. He used the invention he very cleverly named a fishing net to cast into the river. The device worked spectacularly, and his catches were plenty and bountiful. And so time passed. Loki felt no regret for his role in killing Balder. It was, after all, a thing that the gods brought upon themselves, their punishment for trying to challenge the Norns, those beings that determined the destiny of all things. But he knew they, like himself, were emotional beings, and those emotions did not dissipate easily. So he was not surprised when the procession of gods crested the hill in the distance and closed in on his hut with a relaxed but focused pace. <sighs> he knew that it was fruitless to run, that no matter what he did, the outcome would be the same. <laughs> but he would not be Loki if he did not try to fool them one last time. So when the gods reached the cabin, they found it empty. <sighs> The fire on the log is fresh. We've just missed him. Patience, Thor. As you said, he was just here in this very hut. We must look around here for clues. <laughs> look around? My dear Tyr, I thought you were supposed to have a sense of logic about you. I can practically reach across this hut from one end to the other. I don't know what type of secrets you think it might hold. <laughs> look around, he says. Here, Odin, come look at this on the fire. The fire burns in a strange pattern. I've never seen it behave so. It seems our witty friend has been doing some inventing. But what does it do? It did not take the gods long to deduce that due to the proximity of the stream to the hut, the net that was burning in the fire must have been used for fishing. The gods looked upon it and admired the deft craftsmanship and brilliantly simple design. It is another great gift the son of Lavoy has given us even in his time of crises. The three gods hung their heads and briefly allowed themselves to feel sorrow at the task in front of them. Though Loki had his faults, he had been a valuable ally and entertaining companion. They did not pursue their duty in capturing him with joy in their hearts. But soon they remembered the slaying of Baldur, who all knew was good and fair, and they refocused their attention. Thor, Tyr, and Odin went back outside to survey the land. Loki could not have left the way they had come, or they would have spotted him. On one side of the hut was a great cliff, and they would have easily seen him climbing down. On the other side was a great mountain, and from their position they had an excellent view of its entire face. Then Thor looked upon the stream. It meandered through the valley and ended in a great waterfall that emptied to the sea. I know what Loki has done. We must make his net. The gods found the twine Loki used in his hut and went to work copying the pattern they found in the fire from the burnt net. Steady now. We need to cast it into the river nearest the waterfall, lest he slip underneath the net. On their first cast, the gods saw a flicker in the river, a magnificent spotted salmon darted to the side of the net. It glimmered in the river as it darted effortlessly through the water. But when it made it safely past the net and turned back upstream, 
the gods saw that the salmon's eyes were green. Once more then, this time make sure the net stretches from end to end. The gods cast again, but this time the salmon ducked underneath the net and hovered at the bottom of the river. Again! This time we'll weight the bottom of the net and cover the whole river. The gods cast the net one final time. But this time, as they closed in on the salmon, it swam with blinding speed towards the net and... leapt over the net. Thor saw quickly that if the salmon successfully cleared the net, it would land in the waterfall and escape out to sea. Thor leapt from the shore of the river, grasped the salmon in midair, and landed in a crouch on the river's other bank. The fish struggled against him with a ferocious strength, with Thor holding the salmon so tight that he changed the form of all salmon to be thin around the tail. When the salmon finally gave up, it flopped helplessly on the ground until it transformed into Loki, who lay exhausted on the ground before the three gods. He turned to look up at them in the gleaming sunlight, and he smiled. The chase is over then. You will return with us to Asgard at once. Loki was captured. Now the gods turned their attention to coming up with the most justifiably cruel punishment they could think of. Coming up, we'll hear about the punishment of the gods and the terrible fate of Loki. Now back to the story. The time for the punishment of Loki had begun. The gods brought him to a dark and cold cave where all the residents of Asgard gathered like ravenous children. Loki faced them defiantly and let his eyes fixate on each member of the pathetic crowd. He would remember them. He would remember the cowards who only emerged to face him when he was bound. From the crowd, Odin emerged with his patched eye. He donned a cloak made of a wolf's hide and bedecked his arm with fabulous jewels. His white hair was pulled back in a tight bun that stretched the corners of his face, giving him a menacing look. There was no love or humor in his eyes, eyes that were fixed on Loki as the crowd parted before him. Though Loki was naked and covered with filth and sweat, he stood straighter and faced the Allfather with defiance as he approached. The Allfather stopped in front of Loki and raised his hand. Loki, son of Lauvoy, you are charged with conspiracy to commit murder against Baldur, the god of light, purity, and the summer sun. You are charged with causing harm and irreparable pain to every god, both Aesir and Vanir, who live in Asgard. And you, Odin, are charged with trite formalities and incredibly foul breath. These are the greatest crimes ever committed against Asgard. God against God, kin against kin. Do you atone? Atone? How does one atone for becoming what they were born to become? How does one atone for becoming what they are made? I have merely been what I always was to be and nothing more. I have accepted this, accepted the torment of my fate. Can you say the same? You gods stand there with your fingers pointing accusations and your jeers shouting condescension. 
and yet you've done nothing but try to deny your fate. To avoid it. To live a pleasant life. A false life. Do I atone, Odin, my brother? I cannot atone for my destiny. But as you punish me, ask yourself, is the god that creates a monster a monster themselves? Or are they something much worse? A silence hung over the whole of the cave, and the gods cast their eyes on the ground in shame. Odin and Loki stood facing each other, one standing tall in fabulous regal garments, the other naked and fully exposed. Very well, then. Then Loki saw it. The briefest glimmer of sadness and pain flashed across Odin's face. It was fleeting, but powerful enough to shake the fortified walls Loki had built around his emotions. It awakened a tenderness within him that he thought was buried away long ago. Then the look was gone, replaced by a menacing and vicious stare, powerful enough to slay a human with one glance. Bring them. The gathered gods parted ways for a new procession. Frey and Tyr dragged two shackled men. They were beaten and distraught and tried to keep up with the powerful strides of their captors, but they kept slipping on the cave floor. They were thrown in the space before Odin and Loki. When they looked up slowly at Loki, their faces barely looked human. Each had an eye swollen shut. Their noses were engorged and their lips bled openly. So pummeled were they that the two could not close their mouths, so they hung open in stupefying pain, where crimson-red saliva drooled to the floor. Their faces were covered in dark, caked-on blood that cracked at the creases of their foreheads. Then Loki recognized them. What is the meaning of this? For your crimes against the gods of Asgard, Loki, son of Lavoy. They were my crimes, not theirs. For your terrible insistence on committing treason against your own kin. Release them! Punish me! You are sentenced to be bound forever to this cave. Release my sons! And the last thing you shall witness... Odin! Brother! Please! ...shall be the true horrors of committing crimes against one's own kin. Narfi and Vali, sons of Loki, Stand before your father so that he may accept his punishment. Cut their binds. Father, father, forgive them. They are blind with rage. You must not subject yourself to the same weakness of spirit. The gods turned Valley into a great wolf and infected his mind with uncontrollable rage against Narfi. Valley, please! I'm your brother! We've shared many moons and many cups of wine together. This is not your mind! This is not who you are! <laughs> Loki watched as one of his sons ripped the other to shreds. He watched Narfi's blood spray across the wall. He watched Narfi's neck dangle from where Valley the wolf's jaws severed it. He looked into Narfi's lifeless eyes, frozen in a moment of terror. And the gods 
laughed. They shouted taunts and called Loki's children the sons of a whore. They delighted in the slaughter. Loki felt his strength drain from him. He would have collapsed if not for the strong arms holding him upright. The cold cave now felt hot and claustrophobic, as though everything was closing in on him to crush every speck of humanity out of him. The echoing laughter, the dying screams of his sons, Odin's hard, piercing eyes, the maddening drip of water, the cold wind singing off the walls of the cave. All these things collapsed upon him and pressed and squeezed him, wringing out his joy, his laughter, his hatred, his rage. It all fell from him without discrimination until he was a dried-out and brittle statue, a pale reflection of life, misery incarnate. Odin, please, stop this madness. Odin said nothing. He kept his gaze fixed on Loki, like he was just another fixture in the cave. When one of his sons finished murdering the other, several of the gods came forward and muzzled Valley the wolf. Though Narfi was already butchered, the gods unsheathed their knives and knelt to dismember him more. They cut off his limbs and cut out his heart. They unwound his intestines and other organs, but handled them carefully so as to keep them intact. Loki watched with dead eyes. The screams of his son still echoed in his ears. The gods took Narfi's entrails and used them to bind Loki's hands, then tied him down atop three rocks on the floor of the cave. He did not fight them. He did not scream insults. He did not swear revenge. He did not flinch at the cold or the pain. He allowed himself to be bound. He only stared above him at the pointed roof of the cave as the gods laughed at his naked, helpless form. Drunk off their joy of watching such a magnificent punishment, the gods wanted more. Skadi, a giantess who lived in Asgard, fetched a snake with deadly poison. She strapped it above Loki so that poison would drip upon his body as water drips from the roof of the cave to form the sharp, rocky icicles that hang from its ceiling. Except no sculptures would be formed now. No geologic wonders would come from the binding of Loki. Only pain. Pain was the only thing Loki would know for the rest of his days. Coming up, our conclusion of the story of Loki. Now back to the story. The binding of Loki is a pivotal moment in Norse mythology. It's when the gods succeed in subduing one of their greatest enemies. Normal interpretations of Norse mythology pose this as a great victory. The gods, divine beings as they are, are considered the righteous, the good guys, the purveyors of justice. Because Loki becomes their enemy, he is the opposite, the monster, the traitor, the heathen. But when we look at the story of Loki, we see that the gods' actions are, in fact, responsible for creating his hatred, responsible for ensuring that he becomes their enemy, 
So in making a monster, are the gods themselves not monsters? No other being in all of Norse mythology suffers a more gruesome fate. Indeed, one would be hard-pressed to find a source of greater suffering in any mythology. And yet, we still consider Loki to be the evil one. Why is this? Maybe the Norse mythos wants to suggest that even the most powerful beings have faults, that they know they must die, and the world must end, and there are consequences in trying to avoid these things. Perhaps Loki, then, is a scapegoat for the gods' hopelessness. He is the thing we take our anger out on, the wall we punch in grief, the void we scream into when everything feels lost. His suffering comes as a cast-off of our own suffering. But even in his cave, Loki has some semblance of love and hope. His wife, Sigyn, stays next to him and catches the snake's poison in a bowl, if only to provide a brief relief for her beloved. When Loki looked at her, he allowed himself a soft smile. Your arms must be made of steel by now. They did not tell you that by marrying the great Loki, you would become so incredibly fit. Sigyn smiled back, but her eyes were sad, watching her husband, naked and shivering in the cold cave. <sighs> Only you could make jokes in such a situation, son of Lavoy. My love, it's time. I must empty the bowl. All right then. Do as you must. Tears were already pouring out of Sigyn's eyes as she moved the bowl. As always, some poison sloshed over the bowl's edge and fell directly on Loki's bare skin. Loki's cries of pain were deep and haunting. He thrashed against his ghastly bonds as his neck bulged and sweat matted to his forehead. Sigyn tried to hurry and empty the contents, but already the earth started to tremble, and then to shake violently. The tremors would be felt in Asgard and throughout Midgard, the land of the humans. They called these moments when the bowl is emptied, earthquakes. And this is the end of Loki's story before the apocalypse. He lies bare in his cave, enduring an immense amount of pain while the gods continue their lives in Asgard. He is the final bound monster in Norse mythology. First are his sons, Fenrir and Jormungand. The gods bound Fenrir when they were afraid of growth. Jormungand was bound to the Midgard Sea, where he grew so large he circled the world and bit his own tail. Now it is Loki bound to his cave, where he will wait and suffer and build hatred and rage in his heart. Perhaps he stays there for days, perhaps weeks. Perhaps Loki is destined to remain in the cave for millennia until his face is scarred and the sharp rocks all but impale his skin. Then something happens. Winter comes to Midgard. Famine sweeps over the land. Brothers fight brothers. Fathers kill their sons. Deadly, violent thunderstorms cause the seas to rise and flood the land. Men and women drown. But it's not just the human world that suffers. 
The Yggdrasil tree that holds the nine worlds together trembles. The beings of the heavens prepare for disaster. Nobody knows how Loki is freed. Perhaps his reaction to the poison is so violent and intense that his bonds come loose. Perhaps it's the trembling of the Yggdrasil tree that disrupts all things. Perhaps his son, Fenrir, comes to free his father. Or the dead men and women his daughter, Hel, watches over, storm the cave and cut his bonds. Whatever the cause, when Loki does break free, he sits up in disbelief and studies his hands with curiosity. It's been so long since he's seen them, so long since he's moved. He looks at Sigyn, whose face is still beautiful, despite its worn and tired look. It is time. Sigyn knows what this means. You do not have to go to the great battle. You might stay and wait out the chaos with me. I must. They were your friends once. You shared their drink and called them brother. That is a forgotten time. I have not forgotten. Then I have married a fool. I am not my own master. I have been crafted to be how I am. I am known to be at Ragnarok. I am now free, and I must go. Sigyn hung her head and watched the figure of her husband retreat. He limped slightly, and his legs looked unsure after going unused for so long, but he still held himself with his confident, proud posture. This was the last time she would see him. She wept and then went to decide how she would spend the last days of the cosmos. Loki traveled to the Jotunheim, to the land of chaos. He came alive here in his true home. The giants had already gathered together. They knew something was amiss, but they were not sure what, and grumbled between each other about what to do. Friends. When they saw Loki, they took up their spears and unsheathed their swords, pointing them at his throat. Friends, I mean you no harm. Hmm. You are Asgard. You are enemy. We've seen you with Thor, who wields the terrible hammer. Asgard? Why, my friends, you are mistaken. I am Loki, son of Forbauti, the giant who brings lightning and chaos. I am the child of Jotunheim, kidnapped by the Aesir of Asgard. But now I am free, and Ragnarok has come. Loki led the giants to the shore, where he found Nagalfar, the ship made from the nails of the dead. His son Fenrir, the wolf, waited there and watched the group approach with a suspicious gaze. I have broken my bonds, father. I will descend on Asgard with a terrible fury. Nothing your sharp tongue can say will stop me. Aye, boy. Board this ship, and we shall descend on Asgard and reap destruction on the traitorous gods. Loki, the giants, and the wolf boarded the frightful ship. The crew watched as Loki made his way to the bow. He reached down, placed a hand on the ship's deck, and commanded... To Asgard. Nagalfar took off at an alarming speed ferrying its crew to the final battle. Loki could see Asgard before him. It was calm and undisturbed. Nagalfar cut through the water with purpose. 
the giants that he led into battle saw Asgard and started a war cry. Fenrir howled into the air. As they approached, Loki saw that Asgard was not peaceful at all. The ranks of the gods pounded their spears and shouted their cries. Loki could make out Odin and Thor, adorned in armor, serious in intention. Even now, he was surprised that he did not feel hatred, but rather a sense of duty. They all knew what would happen to them at the Battle of Ragnarok, and Loki repeated the prophecies to himself in a whisper, almost as a form of comfort. The giant Stuart will wield a great flaming sword and lead the fire giants across Bifrost. The legendary bridge will collapse under their weight. Fenrir will descend on Asgard and defeat Odin in battle, swallowing him whole. Vali, Odin's son, will slay the wolf in retribution. Thor will kill the other son of Loki, Jormungand. But the great serpent's venom will fell the god after only nine steps. Tyr will battle the wolf Garm, and they will kill each other. Frey and the giant Suet will fall at each other's hands. It was the first time Loki had spoken the prophecy aloud. It felt like a great relief, especially when he said the last part, the part that he had tried to block from his mind, but had still driven every decision he had ever made. Loki will captain the ship Nagalfar with a crew of frost giants and his son Fenrir. He will meet Heimdall, the guardian of Asgard in battle. They will be the death of each other. The gods know the Battle of Ragnarok will be their end. They know that the Nine Worlds will plunge into chaos. They know there is no hope in their future. And yet, they still move forward to meet in battle, to confront death with honor, to finally accept their fate. Ragnarok is the way the cosmos ends, but there is also rebirth. A handful of gods live through the destructive battle, and a few, namely Baldur and Hodor, are revived from the dead. So in a strange way, by orchestrating the death of Baldur, Loki was in fact planting hope in the rebirth of the world. Loki's story is the most complex and troubling in the Norse pantheon. Scholars have dubbed him the god of fire, the Norse version of Lucifer, a trickster, a tangle, a spider, a knot, the god of mischief. Some have gone so far as to say we cannot and never will know the true nature of Loki. But he does serve a purpose. He's the engine of the gods, the character that keeps the story moving forward a source of motivation and emotion, the figure that adds complexity and chaos to the ordered world of the gods. Loki is the only figure to hold the gods accountable. For this, he is severely punished, but perhaps he's there to show that even the divine are not beyond reprimand or judgment. There are many more stories of Loki we have not told, stories that are meant to be humorous, where Loki's emotions and instincts get him into trouble, and then he must devise a scheme to solve the problem he has created. The exploration of Loki's character continues today. 
He's most prominently featured as a primary character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as a one-time villain turned righteous. He was a central figure of Neil Gaiman's American Gods, and several other authors and scholars have attempted various approaches at understanding his true nature. Perhaps if Loki is truly unknowable, he's the most accurate representation of humanity in all of Norse mythology. And that is why, over hundreds of years, we keep exploring who Loki was. That is why he fascinates us, because exploring the flawed god, the god with emotion and anger and desire, is really a quest to understand ourselves. Thanks for listening to our episodes on Loki. You can listen to Mythology and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Drew Cole. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Alastair Merton, and Steve Pinto. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thank you.